You know, I'm going to, uh, I want to take you to a scripture that won't be on your screen, but I, it really is congruent to what we're talking about. So precious are seeds. Okay, I want you just to, I want you to, I want to get you oriented right now to this idea. So precious are seeds that we go to, to great lengths to preserve them. And you may not know this, but up in Norway, there is a seed bank that's really created for doomsday is really what it's for. It's the idea either by natural or man-made disaster in Solvay, there is a global seed bank that eventually will have somewhere around a billion seeds. And the reason that they've done that is because they, they realize that something can happen globally and that we won't have any capacity to restore back to the earth that which God put in it. The first time that they've been able to access that or did access that was in 2015 because the war in Syria has had such a devastating effect on the environment that literally all of the natural native seeds basically have been destroyed in Syria. Now think about that. And they were able to go in there and from Syria have replant that which has been scorched by war. And as I saw that, I, I began to think about all that Jesus has said uh, in his word about this idea of seed. In fact, I think I'm going to take you to John first. Uh, this is not also not on your, your screen. It probably will be by the second one. I know our team is pretty on it. And they go, he just thought of that. I've got to find out how to get it up. Jesus said this in John chapter 12 and verse 23. He answered them and said, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. All right, so Jesus has had three years of ministry. Now he talks about his crucifixion being the time of glorifying, his death being the moment of glorification that will be followed by resurrection and then ascension. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So Jesus, in his dying, brought forth much fruit. That's you. And that fruit that he brings forth is also considered seed that needs to die in order to bring forth more life. He goes on to say, he that loves his life shall lose it. When you love the, your life too much, you forfeit that which is significant about your life. He's not talking about physically dying. He's talking here about something far more dangerous, and it is I forfeit my opportunity to reproduce the life of God and the presence of God in my world. So he says that he that loves his life will lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there also will my servant be. So he said part of loving God is doing what God did in Jesus Christ. He says, if any man serve me, he will, uh, him will my father honor. So if I want to be honored by the father, I have to serve the son like the son served the father. And the first act of obedience that Jesus did in terms of service that would have eternal consequences was his obedience to the death on the cross and the resurrection. Now, I want to take you to 
Psalm 22. And I want, to use, I want you to see how all this ties together with what we're going to talk about today. You know, the Word of God is so powerful when you link it together so you begin to see this divine pattern that God has placed for your benefit. You know, and sometimes you don't know how to do that. I get it. You say, I don't know what, how do you make that connection? How do I find that? Sometimes you can do it simply with cross-references in your Bible. Sometimes you do it after you read a while, you go, wait a minute, I remember a verse kind of like that over there. And you go over and you access it that way. So in Psalm 22, um, beginning in verse 1, we won't read the whole chapter, but the entire chapter is literally a fulfillment of prophecy that took place in Jesus Christ. He begins in verse 1 with these words. See if they sound familiar to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first moment in his human existence, and as an eternal existence as a son of God, he experienced a forsaken feeling of being separated in fellowship with the Father. Now, sometimes we'll feel forsaken. Sometimes in your life you'll feel like God's a million miles away or, or God has just left you and he's not engaged in your life. And while that may feel that way, that's not literally true, but it was literally true for him because in that moment, he experienced what mankind experiences in hell, and a complete absence of God and a fullness of evil because on the cross, he died for you, for your sins, and that death created the separation. That's what death is. It's separation. Create that separation between man and God. So he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring and my groanings? Okay, now I'm going to fast forward you a little bit, and you can read the whole chapter on your own, but go to verse 28. In verse 28, he goes on to say, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among all the nations. Now, he's gone from this moment, because this entire chapter is about his crucifixion. He's gone from this moment of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, to this, this proclamation, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All that they may be fat upon the earth, that means, not literal, that means fullness, okay? That they may be fat upon the earth and eat and worship all that they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. So he said everyone is going to die, and nobody can preserve his own soul except for God. And then he says, a seed shall serve him. And we're going to come back to this scripture in a moment. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Now remember the context here. Back in John, it says, unless a seed falls to the ground, it abides alone. But if it abides, it dies, and it brings forth much fruit. Notice the Scripture here. It says in verse 22, a seed shall serve him. Who? God. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Do you realize that you are a seed for your generation? Not somebody else is not a seed for your generation. You are a seed for your generation. And unless you die unto self, you can't be raised unto life, is what it's saying. 
And then it goes on to say, they shall come and shall declare his righteousness. Who? The seed of the generation shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. So future generations depend on you to be born from the death of Christ, shall be born, it says here, that he hath done this thing. So God is doing something in the earth through us, and as we begin to think about this seed that you are, you are the seed. The history of every living thing can be traced back to a seed. We are so determined to to reproduce on planet Earth, we even have places that are called sperm banks or seed banks because we know how vital it is to bring forth life. There's everything about us that says, I want life. If you happen to either choose to or are unable to have children, then you choose to adopt because seed and the, and the procreation and the sending forth and the raising up and the discipling and the loving of a generation to come is, is just woven into our very DNA, and God wants that in us. God has to have that in us. Because, you see, we're like him, we're image bearers, and as image bearers, what do we do? We do what he does, and he created the heavens and the earth. And he wants us to do that too and to populate the earth. But in each seed, meaning you, and in each seed that's out there, there is a pattern or an identity that's characteristic of that seed that's unique to itself. So if you were to go into that global seed bank, and you can find it uh, very simply just by Googling global seed bank in Norway, what you would find is there are millions of different varieties of seed geographically located because they need to tie into their own geography. So just because you have one kind of, let's say, potato doesn't mean that that's going to flourish in another part of the world. God has wired you to flourish in the environment that God has put you. You are a unique variety for that. There are over 200 varieties of potatoes from America alone in the seed bank. 200. Each one of them is specially designed for a particular climate, for a particular situation, that it might flourish. God has done no different with you. He has uniquely wired you and encoded in you your DNA so that when you are planted, you will flourish and you will bring forth a harvest for the generation that is to come. God releases new revelation to each new generation. Now this is really important when you think about seed because what seeds do is oftentimes they will mutate. Sometimes they will rather respond differently because of fertilizer and they will take on a whole new life all to themselves. The wheat we have today is giant compared to the wheat they had 100 years ago. There's something called genetic engineering whereby you can take uh, those plants and you can tweak them a little bit and you can cause them to flourish in a way that they never could have done it on their own. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets in you. He genetically tweaks you, if you will, by giving you a power source you did not have before the Holy Spirit and he wants you to flourish in the environment you have and become that unique varietal that you are. Now, here's what happens. 
There is a revelation that was given to a previous generation. And when they looked at the Word of God, they saw the Word of God, they understood the Word of God, and they had these wonderful thoughts that came out of them. But if all we do in our generation is rediscover what they've already discovered, then it becomes a little bit boring. It is that God is speaking fresh words, fresh revelation from his word to our generation. And that's why sometimes you'll be reading the word of God and you'll go, wow, I just saw this. And you've never read it before. You've never seen it before. Nobody has ever come up with it before. They never made the connection before. And it wasn't because you were especially bright, though you probably are. It was because the Spirit of God was enlightening your spirit to show you something that you never saw before. And this generation had never seen before. And they put things together that they never could put together before. If you read commentaries from the 1800s, you'll see them looking forward to a day when Israel will become a nation. And they said when that happens, that will begin this prophetic clock that will begin to change the world. And they were looking forward in the 1800s to something we experienced as a nation uh, and, and as Israel experienced in the birthing of a nation in 1948. Once that happened, the revelation began to, to, to kick into a new gear and we began to put things together we could not put together before because now we understand what's happening. Seed that God has is all designed to reproduce. God is all about reproduction. God is about you reproducing yourself in the life of another person. That's why when you have children, they look kind of like you. You ever notice that? And they act kind of like you, much to your chagrin, right? They got some of the great qualities, and they got some of those ones that just you don't like, Right? And then there's that moment of truth when your child looks in the mirror and all of a sudden they realize, I'm like my dad and my mom. Oh, no. <laughs> Haven't we all had that experience? I remember when my mom said that. I remember when my dad said that. And, oh, no, why does hair grow in my ear too? And that's just part of the whole genetic makeup that God has woven into us. So seed is designed to reproduce. Notice this first part of the scripture in Psalm 22, verse 30. It says, a seed shall serve him. Seeds are designed to serve you, to serve God. When I get seed, I plant them in the ground. They're serving me. They're my servants. That's why when I give, it's called seeding. I give, I'm giving it away, I'm planting something, and I expect that that seed will serve me and it will bring back to me some 20-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. I believe that because that is a divine principle of Scripture. Seeds are designed to serve you. And they will serve you if you, if you plant them in the, in the ground. Now, the global, the global seed vault is designed there for an emergency when there's no more seeds left on the earth. That's not the intended design. The intended design is for those to go into the ground. But thankfully, someone was smart enough to design and find a place where they could preserve those in case of something like what happened in Syria. But remember, seed is designed to, be re to reproduce. What it does is, is when you plant the gospel your version of the gospel, I mean that the gospel is true, but the way that you present it, the way that you've encountered God, it is all about your spiritual identity. So you have a spiritual identity, whether you know it or not. 
You have an identity the way you see yourself, but you also have a spiritual identity. And that spiritual identity is custom designed for some people. Tammy gave a great illustration of being on the plane and how that custom identity was clearly designed to be a part of that person's life in that particular time. And there was a varietal connection, if we could use that in, in, the, in the seed kind of terminology. You also have a supernatural lineage. So what happens is there's something that you experience here of the kingdom of God that becomes a part of your supernatural lineage. That is, you saw something, you heard something, you experienced something. It became a part of you. Then when you go out and talk about God, you talk about the miracles that you saw or some, the way that God worked or the insight God gave you into the word of God. That's your supernatural heritage that you have. And it's all a part of you. As I was studying this, I, I, I'm going to draw, this will be as good, this piece of artwork is going to be as good as my singing, but hopefully I can make the point, okay? So this is a DNA helix, okay? Pretty good, huh? It looks like a kind of a twisted ladder, right? It's kind of what it looks like. And all of this makes up each one of these little components here make up your identity. They have patterns. As we said last week, even these store memory. And we understand that from the Bible, sometimes to the third and fourth generation or to the thousandth generation forward, things that your, your, your heritage experienced, they're stored in your DNA. And you're, you're like this boxcar that's full with all this stuff. And every once in a while, you'll have an experience. You'll go, well, I don't even know where I got that thought. But somehow, it, it seems to be right. Sometimes we call it a deja vu moment. Or sometimes we think, what? how did that happen in my life? And that's why we say when you put the Word of God in your life, when you plant the Word of God in your life, it has the effect of coming out not just in your life, but in future generations' life. Think about this. You could think a thought about God that a future generation would go, I don't know where I got this idea, but this is amazing. And I don't know why I have this attraction to God, but there's something drawing me into God through this. And that's because of what you're doing. So I began to look at this Hebrew word for mantle because in the Bible, uh, what the prophets would do is they would wear this mantle, and there was the mantle of a prophet. It's just like a, a, a coat, if you could imagine that. And they would wear it, and Elijah was coming along, and he saw Elisha, and he's out plowing these, these uh, oxen, you know, out plowing in, the, in this field with these oxen, and he comes along. He doesn't say much. He just throws this mantle over him. And he's saying to him, you were not designed to plow with oxen. You were designed to be a prophet. And you're spending your days doing what you were not supposed to do. And you're content doing it, and you might even be good at doing it, but it wasn't what God designed you to do. And you can only imagine the experience that must have had on that young prophet Elisha, or Elisha as Elijah throws his mantle on him. He's wondering, what is going on here? And he was so moved by it that he took and he, he, he basically sacrificed his oxen right there and he followed Elisha. You see, until he died or planted the seed of what was holding him back, he couldn't have what God had for him in the future. 
Sometimes you have to burn some things to the ground in order to experience new life. You have to quit holding on to things that you've held on to too long. You have to stop being a victim. You have to stop being entitled. You have to stop, as Tammy says, resentment. You have to stop those things in your life if you're ever going to move forward. And remember, the enemy's always going to be saying, those oxen really work hard for you. Don't do that. That seed is really valuable. Just save it. Because if you plant it, you don't know if you're going to get a crop. But you see, there's always in the kingdom, there's a principle of risk always in the kingdom. If you don't risk, you can't gain. So as I studied that word, that, that Hebrew word for mantle, it's the word uh, adareth, and it means a large vine or a garment. And when you, you understand the Hebrew, it's, it's pictographic. It's, it's, it's Eastern language. So it, it not only just gives you letters like, like we do in the English language, which is Western, but it also paints a picture. So there are, there are far few, fewer Hebrew words than there are Greek words, for example, and each one of them contain nuances and different dimensions that, that allow you to translate them different ways, sometimes based on the context or based on the usage through, the, through generations. And what's amazing about this is that when you see that vine, it is actually this twisted vine that is best or most akin to a DNA helix. And I began to think about that. I thought, when God puts a mantle on us for our future, he's putting on us a mantle that matches our DNA, that gives us identity, that creates a pattern, and even establishes memory for future generations. It's really interesting when you begin to see these things come together. You see, supernatural uh, uh, revelation increases with each generation. I expect that those who are, let's say, 10 years old today who study the Word of God will have greater insight into the Word of God than those of us who are alive today. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be giving fresh stuff. Look what it says in Psalm 22 and verse 30. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. The seed is for a generation. What you have is for a generation. A generation isn't limited to age. A generation is always everybody who makes up that, that particular period of time. So you're living in this generation, and the seed is for this generation. What we do as seed bearers is we impart the seed of God's presence in other people. People begin to they say, what, what makes you different? What's going on with you? It's the presence of God that's now been imparted in you, and you carry this little piece, let's say, of an understanding that begins to flourish. And the, the fruit, the, the fruit of, the, of divine truth is really called enlightenment. You know, you walk into a room, what's the first thing you do at night? You turn the light on. Why? I want to see where I'm going. Even though you know your house well, you want to see where you're going, so you turn it on. God does the same thing with your spirit. He turns on a switch so that you see where you're going. Let me take you to a scripture here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. He said, I pray that the God of our Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. Notice it's something given. God gives you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. How am I going to get wisdom? I'm going to get it from God. How am I going to get a revelation? I'm going to get it from God in the knowledge of him. 
You mean so I'm going to be able to get something from God that's going to allow me to understand God better, have a greater knowledge of him and insight into who he is? Yes, he gives you that. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So you realize you have physical eyes, right? But you also have spiritual eyes so that when you see something, you can see it with a spiritual sense of eyes, sense of eyes, and then all of a sudden this spirit of wisdom and revelation kicks in, and now I can see that which God is revealing to me in the areas of wisdom and understanding. Because if I try to function apart from God's wisdom and God's understanding, I fall flat on my face. And I go, God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm living in the land, let's say, of the lonely. I'm living in the land of the forsaken because I'm not operating by divine revelation. What I want you to know is this is not reserved for somebody special. It's reserved for you. It's not like a unique crowd that gets this. He's writing to you and I. He says, I want to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding. I'm going to give that to you. And I want your eyes of your understanding to be opened up so that when you hear a scripture and you read something, you go, oh, I get it now. Doesn't mean you're going to understand the entire Bible in one moment. That takes a lifetime and then some, amen? All right. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. God's calling me to something. What is the hope? The hope is the confident assurance. God just gives me assurance. The hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory? Now all of a sudden, I understand hope, and now I understand riches. I understand this is not about me. This is about him. Not about my assets. It's about his. It's not about my trying to work myself up and be positive. No, it's all about him and the hope of his calling. So that is all a big piece of this. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance, in the saints. You know you have an inheritance? God has an inheritance for you. We talked a little bit about inheritance last week and, and what that means. But think about it. God has something waiting for you. Not when you die. Now. The inheritance comes now. God pays out daily. You know, you get the, you get the good newsletter every once in a while. You have a rich relative. You go, I didn't know I had a rich relative. This is really good news. I'm broke today. God sends you that letter every day. You have a rich re relative. Well, who died? Jesus. The difference about this rich relative, he went ahead and just got back up. He seated in glory so he could distribute the wealth to his children on a daily basis. Amen? So the inheritance. Now, let me just take you through this a little bit further. Gordon Bradshaw said, when the seed of God's presence is planted within our heart, in the hearts of spiritual leaders, it is passed on to the sons and daughters of that leader. So you have people in your life that are spiritual leaders for you. You might have one, you might have 50. But what they're doing is they're planting something in you, and it's passed on to sons and daughters of that leader and the harvest will come in the form of highly empowered future generations. The simple act of taking a child to the prayer wall and teaching them about the power of prayer is spiritual leadership that will pay great dividends in their life because they will never look at prayer the same. I don't know how you looked at prayer when you were like 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. I remember it was just a task we had to do at dinner. That's all I really remember. 
But what if a generation could understand that there is the power and the presence of God that, that you can access and that God answers prayer, and here is a visual touch point so you can see it and you can kind of put it all together. Here's a prayer wall, here a prayer, and I can put them in there, and every time I walk by there, what is my, what is my spirit man doing? It's leaping, it's saying that's what you were designed to do. You weren't designed just to pray over meals. I mean, I, I think we'd be better off never praying at a meal and praying at the wall. Because I don't know about you, but my, my dinner prayers are all about the same. God, I want to thank you for this food. Bless me. Bless this food to, food to my body. I'm going, do I really need that one? I mean, do I really need that prayer, right? I mean, I, we really should pray the skinny prayer. God, I just pray that, for, you know, that, that this food will make me thin. The more I eat, the more I will get thin, all of that. I told my wife that I wasn't going to do this, but I got to do it, Tammy. I got to go there. So, you know, every once in a while, hey, guys, how, many, how often do you buy, like, new underwear? Guys, right? T-shirts, underwear, all that kind of stuff, right? So I thought, yeah, it's time for an upgrade. You know, so I got on Amazon, and I ordered them, I and, you know, and, and I, I got Tommy Hilfiger. I got Tommy Hilfiger shirts, got the little emblem here, got the waistband, got the whole thing. Really cool stuff, right? So I get in the mail, and I pulled out the T-shirt. The guy doesn't look anything like me, you know, but he's not like, you know, no big deal. Then I pull out the underwear one, and I'm going, these can't be for me. Look at this guy. He's got like a six-pack. He's buff. And I'm going, why don't they put guys like me on those packages? And my wife said, nobody would buy underwear then. <laughs> Am I wrong? I mean, do you really want to walk into Macy's or someplace and see me in a pair of underwear? I don't think so. I don't even want to see me in a pair of underwear. It's all that DNA of my mom. Right here, she gave me the fat gene right here. <laughs> I don't know how we recover from that one, but we're going in. Your potential is linked to your spiritual heritage. So your potential is not just linked to your physical DNA, but it's also you have, remember, you have a spiritual DNA, and your potential is linked here. To everything that God pours into you by his spirit and by his word, it makes up, it's a composite of who you are now in the supernatural realm. Look at Psalm 22, verses 30 and 31. It says, they shall come and shall declare his righteousness. Who? The seed, remember? The seed comes to life and it's going around. It's going, hey, I'm here to declare the righteousness unto a people that shall be born. Shall be born how? Does that mean born physically in the world? Yeah. Does that mean spiritually born? Yeah. Does it mean that my proclamation and my giving forth of the seed in this day is going to come forth as all seed does? It has to die and it has, has to germinate and then it begins to give life and then it begins to give fruit. Everything goes through that cycle. Just my living out my life, I'm planting seeds when I'm living it out for Jesus. It's kind of cool. It's kind of like passive income. You know, I didn't do it. I don't know how I just get a, a check in the mail every month. That's what God says. I, you're, you're just passing out checks for a future generation. Let me read this quote from Bill Johnson. He talks about gifts. He says, gifts are energized by character. And without the energy of character flowing through our lives, we won't be able to exercise the gifts consistently and with excellence. 
Now, character is something, it, it comes from a Greek word. It means something that's pounded into you. You know what that means? It means nobody is born with character. It's pounded into you by trial and error, by failures and success. It's actually the word that used to, when you take a, a metal object that has a, a letter on it and you pound it into a piece of metal, and the, the, what's the result of that is you see the letter in there, but that, that imprint is called character. That means it doesn't come easily and lightly, and it doesn't happen all at once, and, and it means that you will go through all kinds of ups and downs in your life to find character. It's okay. That's how God works. But look what else it says. The anointing of the Spirit from which these gifts flow is given to bless and release the reality of heaven to earth. That's why God gives you everything he's given you. So we said earlier, everything reproduces after its own kind. What are you reproducing? I don't mean the physical realm. You said I got these two kids. That's great. Good job. You should have more. You did a good job. What are you reproducing in the spiritual? Who are your spiritual kids? Who are you pouring into? Who are you developing? Who are you caring for? Who are you, who are you nurturing in that, in that whole journey? You see, Influence Church has a supernatural heritage of the miraculous. We have a heritage. It's part of your DNA. Depending on how long you've been here and how much you've, you've engaged with that or seen that or experienced that, it's a part of who you are. And that's how God works. He just begins to pour that into you. I, uh, I was reading in Caroline Leaf's book again, Who Switched Off My Brain. It's a great book, great title, right? You ever feel like that? My brain got switched off. I'm just kind of functioning in life. But she talks about how to switch your brain back on. And this one thing she talks about here I thought was really, really good. Uh, she said, um, the law of entanglement in quantum physics. Now, quantum physics is basically the idea that like is attracted to like. That is, we're attracted to things that we like and things that like us we're attracted to. Okay? It's a principle in, in quantum physics states that a relationship is the defining characteristic of everything in space and time. Now, listen to this. We were designed to be, you were designed to be in relationship. Apart from a relationship, you don't function. A relationship with God, relationship with man. Just remember the cross and that, that vertical uh, post in that cross is my relationship to the Father and the horizontal is my relationship to my fellow man. Because I can't have one. I can't just have this. That's why people say, well, you know, I have, a, I have a relationship with God. I don't need to go to church. That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Jesus Christ died on a cross to establish the church. And you said, I don't need that. That doesn't even make sense. Clearly, you missed out on the Bible part of that whole teaching. Because that's what it was all about. But now, let's go on with this. Because the pervasive nature of entanglement of atomic particles, the relationship is independent of distance and requires no physical length. This is so amazing. I can be somehow connected to the body of Christ in another part of the world, and I don't even know it. And it's just a part of the way God made the physics and the spiritual dimension. 
me read on because this, this gets even better. Everything and everyone is linked, and we all affect each other. Now, to, to make you feel responsible? See, I, what I do is linked to you, and what you do is linked to me, somehow in this, this concept of quantum physics. And by the way, we could just take you through Scripture after Scripture and show you this. This is not, you say, well, that's science. No, this is Bible. The Science just finds the Bible. The law of entanglement has a biblical correlation. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're members, oh, not of Influence Church, of the kingdom. That's even better. If you are not doing what God puts you on this earth to do, your divine sense of purpose then even though you may not know me, you are still affecting my life. Now let me say that in another way. God designed you to bear seed. Unique, as unique as those seeds are and those varieties are in that seed bank in Norway. Every one of them geographically pulled out of the ground in order to be put back in the same geography it was in, that it might grow, bring forth, and flourish. And when it doesn't do that, there's something that happens in that part of the world that affects this part of the world. I was reading an article, and it said that there was a higher uh, than normal degree of radioactivity in the atmosphere over Europe, and they don't know why. So they're, they're sampling all the time. They're sampling. They're going, something's wrong here. Somebody's done something here because we shouldn't have this radioactivity in the air. Hey, guess what? When you pray, guess what you do? You affect the air with the presence of God. And somebody walks along and they're doing samples. They're going, I don't know what's going on here. They're, I'm sampling the presence of God here. I don't even know, how, where did it come from? We don't know where it came from. The, the experience we have here in the presence of God could be largely because somewhere else someone is praying the presence here. And it could be because we're praying the presence here. But we're sampling. And we're, te- we're, we're just seeing that God's working. But see, it comes down to every one of us. It's not my job. It's not your job. It's our job. It's our job to minister to people. It's our job to tell people about Christ. It's our job to bring people to church. It's our job to be good citizens. It's our job to raise children. It's our job to read the Word of God. It's our job. And when you don't do your job, you hurt me. And I hurt you. And there's nobody in this room that's perfect that I, that I know of. Anybody want to stand up and give that word? We can give the other word. That's Okay. God didn't call you to be perfect. He called you to be faithful. And whenever you have a lapse and you're not faithful, he says, get back up and, keep, and get faithful. Isn't that good? That's how much he loves us. That's how much he's for us. That's how much he pushes us on. I want you to stand with me right now. And I, I want you to um, I want you to just bow your heads. And I want to I just um, I wanna read a thought to you. Whoever or whatever you give power to will have the power to destroy you. Unless it's God. Unless it's God.
Right now, I think we need to all right now just take a moment and say, God, I want to just entrust everything I have to you. Would you just say that? God, I want to entrust everything to you. I want to do my part in the kingdom that others might experience what I have to offer. I pray that others would be faithful that I might experience what they have to offer.